But I actually want to preach. We, uh, I asked the guys to trip the electricity a few moments ago. Because I want to preach today about why the electricity at the church trips. And uh, it drives me insane. I get absolutely mad. I studied engineering, electrical types. So you can imagine it irks every part of me. But in a very simple sentence, why, why does the church still trip of our electricity when we've got inverters and solar panels? It's really the answer simple because we run out of power. We, we, we grew as a church and, and we used to, when we were half a building here, we had a, for those of you who understand the technical things, we had a 60 amp feed and, and uh, we ran out of power. And then we went up to 80 amps and we ran out of power. We went to 100 amps and we ran out of power. Well, we're not running out. When we put in the inverter, that's slightly lower. And so we've got to juggle what goes on the inverter, what doesn't. But it trips because we run out of power. And I think we're going to keep on getting trips until we learn what God is trying to say to us spiritually. Church, if you want to do what God's called you to do, you need more power. And for me, it's become a prophetically irksome thing inside of me because I believe that God is speaking to us and saying, Church, for what I've called you to, for the destiny I have for you, for all that you are called and positioned for, church, you're going to need more power. And I want to speak today about how do we stop the church from tripping, not electricity-wise, spiritual power-wise. Because I think as the church grows, as we look forward to the future, God is inviting us to walk in a greater dimension of His power. So let me start with... Uh, a deep theological question. Who is more faithful, in your opinion? Your father in heaven or take a lot? Ah, that's fine. It's not funny. Think about it. You see, you straight away, you say, obviously, God's more faithful. But let me tell you, I think most of us probably trust take a lot more. Because when we put in an order with take a lot, we fully, fully expect that it's going to arrive. You wouldn't put it in your order and pay for it and then, nah, it didn't arrive this time, maybe next time. You, you wouldn't do that. You'd track it on the app, you'd start phoning, you'd begin to manifest in some ways until you got your order. Yeah, when it comes to prayer, ugh, probably got lost in the post. Maybe it wasn't a good prayer. Maybe it wasn't God's will. Who do you trust more to deliver? Take a lot or your Father in heaven? I want to speak today about the revelation of the power of united prayer. And I want to do it by starting with my own journey. In the area of prayer, I remember reading something. I've shared it many times. And I'm going to share it again today. I remember reading. No, obviously, the Bible is the book that has transformed my life the most. I do love reading. And I remember reading something a while back. I haven't read many of Derek Prince's books, but I read his book on prayer. And when I read this, something exploded inside of my heart. It's from his, uh, his book called Secrets of a Prayer Warrior. And he says, the Bible reveals that this world is not really ruled by presidents and governors and dictators. They only seem to rule. The people who really rule the world are those who know how to pray. Let me read the last line. The people who really rule the world are those who know how to pray. And when I read that, something came alive inside me and said, Father, that's what you've called me to. That's what you've called your church to. Oh, the, praying is not a, a habit, a duty. This is how we exercise the rulership of what it means to be sons and daughters of God. Do you know your Father in heaven is sovereign? 
Your Father in heaven is omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Our Father in heaven could do everything all by Himself with the easiest of ease. But our Father in heaven has chosen to limit Himself. And He's chosen to limit Himself here on planet earth by not working outside of mankind, but by working through mankind. Because He gave Adam and Eve jurisdiction here on earth. You're in charge. And so our Father, who could use lightning bolts, and He could use, He uses you and I, and He's chosen the medium of prayer in relationship with the Father, working together with the Father to release His authority here on planet earth. And when we realize that prayer goes from this, this thing, this duty we have to do, to the greatest invitation to rulership that you could imagine. And yet, obviously, the enemy knows that as well, which is why most Christians just don't pray. God spoke to us as a church a while back, and uh, I remember this verse being highlighted to us from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Paul said to Timothy, he said, I urge then that, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, for kings and all those in authority. I would have thought, surely first we should pray for the evangelists out there or the missionaries. Or we no, no. Pray for the kings and all those in authority. Why is that so important? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So somehow the authorities and powers that we live under are going to influence our level of godliness and ability to do what God's called us to do. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And we felt that God dropped in our heart this little challenge. Church, are you willing to take responsibility for the state of your city? Now, I love whining, complaining, and whinging about the state of our city. I mean, these trucks, oh, trucks, 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 they da, 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 da. And you can blame the municipality, you can blame politics, you can blame everything. Or are we willing to say, we're responsible? Because we are commanded in Scripture to pray for our leaders, authorities, governors, municipality, business leaders. Someone once said this, a nation gets the government the Christians deserve. Hectic. Because we're the ones who call to pray for kings and all those in authority. But this is where it's going to start. I'm praying today. This is my big prayer. Lord, you've put a revelation inside of me and, and the elders and, and some of the folk in the church that we actually carry way more responsibility, potential, and power than we realize. Are we willing to walk in it? Can we begin to trust the Lord to rule our city in prayer? Now, at the time... I didn't even know the name of our mayor. I didn't even know anyone. It just, and suddenly we began to realize, how can we take responsibility for something we don't even know about? And uh, I don't know if you remember what it was like. Uh, I think it was beginning of last year, we had municipal elections. And, and for the year before that, we, we began to pray, Lord, we're responsible for the city. We're going to start praying now for by name, for our mayor, for the cabinet, for the municipality. For the, an incredible thing happened. If you remember, I'm not here to talk politics, good, bad. I'm, just remember that a year ago, we had a complete transformation of the leadership of our city. And I believe that God has answered our prayer. Our mayor has been promising to come to our church, and hopefully he's going to be here soon. I want to hold him to his word, because actually he's a believer. And we've got some amazing leaders in our city now. My point is this. 
God has challenged us to pray for the authorities. Now, it's not just one of them we do pray is our municipal, our, our political leaders over our city. But another one is God's challenged us to pray for business, economic leaders. Now, right now, our port is a mess and we can blame this. And, and underneath that are spurts of corruption and greed which have to go. And they're not going to be changed by political maneuvering. They're going to be changed when what is in the darkness is brought into light. And when the Daniels and Josephs and Esthers that are there rise up with courage and boldness to begin to lead in a dark area. And for them to do that in the face of threats of violence and intimidation, they need the prayer power of the church behind them. We've been praying for spiritual leaders. I've got some amazing friends here in Richards Bay who lead some of the other churches and we pray for them. But it's not just the good spiritual leaders. We have strongholds built here. We have Shambi, Zion. We have all of these built around us. There's spiritual forces of wickedness and darkness over drugs, over prostitution, over all of those things. Church, we are called to pray for the authorities over our city. We pray for educational leaders. Our kids at school under a government that says no more God, no more Bible, no more preaching allowed in schools. But and yet, there's still men and women who lead, headmasters, headmistresses, and teachers who have the courage and boldness to say, not under my watch. We are going to pray. We're going to read God's Word. We're gonna, and we need more of those. We need more amazing educational leaders. You're not going to bow to political pressure. They're going to serve the Lord. And we need to pray for family leaders. And you hear the statistics of divorce and, and domestic uh, abuse and violence and, and all. We need moms and dads full of the Holy Spirit to rise up and lead at home. And dads in particular, I'm not being sexist, but statistics will say when a dad makes a stand for Jesus, when a dad rules his home, the kids have a way greater chance of serving the Lord for the rest of their lives. We need dads in particular to arise. What's the point? God's given us a mandate one of the greatest ways that we can exercise the rulership of God is through united prayer. But I also want to take you on a journey from the disciples' perspective. I love the scripture. In, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it, it simply says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And we were singing that beautiful prayer that Jesus taught us a while back. But what I love so much about this story is I think what we're seeing here is the day the penny dropped. I can imagine the disciples over the last couple of years have been watching. It was normal when you get up in the morning and you stoke the campfire. It's normal to expect Jesus not to be in the camp. Or if they were staying in someone's home, Jesus' room is empty. His bed. Why? Because they just got used to the fact that normally Jesus was up early on a mountain or somewhere by himself spending time with his father. I think it became normal that once kind of uh, you've had your coffee in the evening and the chatting's gone a bit quiet, Jesus is normally the first to say, lads, I'm off to bed. I need to go and spend time with my father. And he'd probably go outside, up at wherever. And they just realized Jesus spends a lot of time with his father in prayer. And I think at some point, the penny must have finally dropped because they never went to Jesus saying, Jesus, give us some pointers on how to preach well. I mean, you use these amazing parable things. How do you use, they didn't ask, how do you do those miracles? Where we, they didn't ask that. The question they asked was, Jesus, how do you pray? Because the penny must have dropped to realize the power we see in his ministry must come from the prayer that seems to be taking place all the time. 
Church, my prayer today is that this penny will drop in our hearts. The power in the church is proportional to the prayers of the church. Do you believe that? The power in the church proportional to the prayers of the church. And if we want to be a church where we're seeing a greater manifestation of the power of God, salvation, healing, deliverance, breakthrough, churches planted, nations impacted, God, we need to raise our level of prayer. I love it, the way they worked it out in the, in the early church. Let me give you some examples. Acts 1.14, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Everyone was involved, constantly joined together in prayer. Acts uh, 3 verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. It was lifestyle. Hey, three, oof, need to go and pray. They gathered together. There was lifestyle for them. It was a lifestyle of prayer. Acts 12 verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Acts 4 verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then a bit later, verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Don't you love that prayer? Not God, get him. God, zap them. No, no. God, enable us, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness as we face them. Verse number 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Stretch out your hand. But what's God's hand? Well, we're the body of Christ. So when we're praying, God, stretch out your hand, we're hoping that we can do it while we sit on our hands. No, no. These are the hands that God is then going to stretch out to lay hands on those who are sick and need healing. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where there was meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Their united prayer was characterized by raised voices together. I love it when Quentin leads us in prayer on a Sunday morning, starting hearing more and more voices raised together. It was characterized by strong individual prayers on behalf of the group. Some people burning with the Holy Spirit prayed out loud, Sovereign Lord, you can see what the enemy is doing. Their prayers were more God enable us type of prayers rather than God please do it all for us type of prayers. They asked for a greater demonstration of kingdom power, your kingdom come. They aligned their prayers with prophetic words, your will be done. Their prayer meetings resulted in things being shaken up, a separation of what's kingdom and what's worldly. Their prayer meetings resulted in a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I love it. They came out of the prayer meeting full of the Holy Spirit and power. That we would come out of prayer meetings, that we would have the faith that, yep, it's hard work to pray. We wrestle in prayer. But we want to come out of prayer. Even after a long day, I've been at the factory. If you knew the day that I've had, don't worry, you can go to prayer meeting. And by the time you come out of prayer meeting, you're going to come out full of the Holy Spirit and boldness. Their prayer meetings resulted in boldness to speak and witness and be the answer to their prayers. What's the big idea? United prayer for the early church was a very natural part of their very supernatural lives. Let me say it again. Big idea. In the early church, 
united prayer together was a very natural, normal part of a very supernatural lifestyle. What about from a prophetic side? We were challenged as an, as an eldest team a, a while back. What happens if, uh, if Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, came to Outlook Church one morning? And uh, Luke came to sit in the third row and, and he put up his hand, I'm a visitor. And, and then he went back and he rewrote the book of Acts. Would he, re, would he write Acts 2.42 the same way he wrote it originally? Acts 2.42, it's a famous verse. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So after visiting Outlook Church one Sunday morning, what would he write? Outlook Church devotes themselves to coffee. I mean, come on, I can't believe you said that. Okay, we like coffee, but, and what else? Um, singing, yeah, we, we, we like singing. Fellow, actually, you know what delights me? is to see the number of people in Outlook Church devoted to the Word of God. Seeing it preached on Sundays, to see it lived out and, and worked through in small groups. The number of people we have at Believers Training who come out on a Thursday night, so many of you working through personal Bible study, I think we're devoted to the Word of God. I think we're devoted to fellowship. Next week we've got our, our serving uh, appreciation. We've got over 300 people in serving roles in the life of the church. Well done, church. And I know some of you can't make it, but maybe next year you can try and fit into one of those teams. It's such a joy to be part of a team devoted not just to friendship, but to friendship on a mission, being involved, serving side by side. I think we're devoted to breaking of bread, and I love it. And looking at the church survey we did, how many of you enjoy week by week? It's a key moment as you remember the body and blood of Jesus. I think the one area that I don't think Luke would say, wow, as a church, you guys are really devoted to prayer. Friends, in loving kindness, there's about a thousand people who would call Outlook Church their home, but about 22 people who come out and pray at the United Prayer Meeting. And I'm feeling like God is challenging us. I absolutely celebrate those faithful 22 people who come out and pray. But God, I think you're calling us into something more. When... Uh, some of you were here when Tabiso and Didi were ministering here a couple of weeks ago, and we had a great time with them. And, and when Tabiso was speaking at our, our leaders' meeting, he felt God had given him a prophetic word for Outlook Church, saying, Outlook Church, the word of the Lord is advance. And kind of it was a military-type picture that actually God wants to take us into the more. We've been trusting God. Old prophetic words over the church. He wants to break open a wellspring of salvation. He's called us to be an apostolic people. We're trusting for at least a church plant a year. There's nations opening up. We've got teams going into different areas. Advance. The picture that came straight to my mind was his visit coincided with the, the ground offensive of Israel going into Gaza. Now, I'm not talking about the rights and wrongs of that. I'm saying the picture in my mind was what I'd seen on CNN that morning or the day before of when the tanks begin to roll across a border. When tanks roll over a border, they don't get their passport stamped. They just drive. And with these huge tanks and huge guns, they began to go straight into Gaza City. And I kind of the crazy picture in my mind was, I wonder what size engine those tanks have. I mean, if I wonder if they've got like a 1,200cc little engine inside, like one of our little cars. I mean, that's ridiculous. You can't advance a tank into enemy territory on a little 1,200 engine. I mean, they've probably got these massive, huge, diesel, glugging, massive engines. And I felt God say to me, my personal picture in my mind, 
outlook, are we going to be able to advance into enemy territory on our 22cc engine? See, if you're not an engine type person, an engine, combustion engine, is made up of, they measure it in cc's, which is a, a cubic centimeter, which is really tiny. I mean, it's a centimeter by a centimeter by a centimeter. But an engine in, like, in your car or the trucks are made up by how many of those cc's come together, space-wise, produces the size of the engine. And the picture that I believe God dropped in my heart is, and I want to say this lovingly, like with a real pastoral heart, it's really not about you. It's about who lives inside of you. And when you choose to stand side by side and join the CCs of the army, actually the engine size begins to grow. Because if you've got the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, because you're a Jesus lover, a Jesus follower, that's what we need at the prayer meeting. We don't really need your clever prayers. or we don't. No, no, we need the Holy Spirit inside of you joining the engine. We don't call it the engine room anymore. Not as we call it the generator room. Because in South Africa, we know about generators. We know power comes from generators. And I believe God is wanting to upgrade the size of our church generator to be able to power what He's called us to do. And so, your CC can make a difference to the power level of this church. It's not you, but the Holy Spirit inside of you. You don't have to be mature, super spiritual. You don't have to like praying out loud. You just need to be spirit-filled. The big idea, God is calling us to upgrade the engine of the church to generate the power required to do what He's called us to do. I want to leave you with two practical little headings. First one, what would it take for us to adjust our lifestyles in this busy, crazy, hectic world we live in. And I'm not in any way trying to downplay the busyness factor of your lives and all of the demands on your life. But for us with grace and passion to change our lifestyle where we actually adjust our lifestyle to become part of the generator room of the church, we'd have to have a revelation moment. And it would have to include this. Number one, we'd have to have the revelation that prayer really does lead to power. And if we're going to fulfill what God's called us to do, this church needs me. The prayer meeting needs me. The prayer meeting needs my little CC of power to add. And, and by myself, I feel a bit small and insignificant. But when I step in to the prayer meeting full of the Holy Spirit and add my CC to the church engine, suddenly somehow the engine gets stronger. We're going to need a revelation, secondly, that prayer really is rewarded in the kingdom of God. When Jesus was teaching, he said in Matthew 6, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Now, he was talking about individual prayer there, but the point was we, we don't pray as an act of religion. We do it because we truly believe our Father sees what's going on in prayer and rewards that. You know, as we believe that as much as the cost is to go to a prayer meeting and rearrange our lives and pay for petrol and all of that inconvenience, actually, Lord, it's worth it. It's worth it. And, and some of you are happy to pay a price of huge inconvenience because in your mind, you know it's worth it. Some of you will, will go to gym or be up early and run and will do this. Whatever you're passionate about, you do it because it's worth it. It's a price. It's an inconvenience. But in your heart, you've realized it's worth it. 
the passion outweighs the price or, or the benefit outweighs the costs. And so you've hit that tipping point when you say it's worth it. This is what I'm talking about here. Lord, let the revelation break into our hearts to be part of a united prayer force changing the heavenlies is worth it. We would need, thirdly, the revelation that it's the Holy Spirit in you that we need. I remember, probably met uh, the, the most powerful praying person I've ever met in my life. When I was uh, just a, a young pastor, before we came down uh, to Richard's Bay, I was still up in Joburg, and we were hosting this, uh, a bunch of pastors from Malawi. And this one pastor, he was 93 years old, this old barber comes down from, from Malawi, and at 93 years of age, he had a bicycle and he would still ride 700 kilometers to do his loop of visiting churches and ministering at the churches. And uh, the other pastors were telling me, no, no, this guy has raised like three people from the dead. I'm like, hectic. We went together. I was organizing a day off to have a picnic. We went to the zoo in Pretoria and, and I was just looking at the snakes with him. I hate snakes. And, and we saw a puff adder and he's like, oh, I was bitten by one once. I'm like, hello. He says, yeah, I went to the hospital. And the guy in the bed next to me and this side and this side, they'd both been bitten by puff adders and then he died and then he died and then God said, don't worry, I'll heal you. You can go home. So I got up and I went home. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so then the day comes when we're going to pray for someone and they're sick. And I'm like, Baba, you need to come and pray. And I'm like, hey, you got to imagine, I've got my pen, my notebook, I'm ready. I want to hear the prayer of a man who raises the dead. And I remember he gets up there and he, and he starts to pray and he's like, oh, my father, my father, my father. Okay, I've got father, father, father. <laughs> and then he carries on. Father, father. Okay, I think we've got that already. But that was it. And I realized it's, it's, not, it's not how fancy you pray out loud. He's got this relationship with his heavenly father. He's full of the Holy Spirit and he knows that his God heals. That's what we need. And fear is going to hold you back. What if people hear me pray out loud? What if I pray wrong? does not matter. We need what's in you, the power of the Holy Spirit and your faith in Jesus. And we've got to have the revelation that every one of us contributes to the CC of the church, the engine size. It's like as elders, we, we're not bigger CCs. There's no junior Holy Spirit, big Holy Spirit. Our kids are just as full of the Holy Spirit as we are, same Holy Spirit. And sometimes I think their prayers might be even more powerful. Moms and dads, one of the most powerful, beautiful things you could do is get your kids praying from a young age. But I'm about to offend you, so let me wait a moment and then do that then. <laughs> I want to lastly then talk about what, what we need to practically overcome to adjust our lifestyle. And the first one is we would have to break through the fear barrier. Fear is huge and fear is real. And, and for every single believer, in fact, after the first service, I had someone come to me and say, this is the thing. I'm dead scared of praying out loud. Well, in loving kindness, let me, let me say generally what I said specifically to her. When fear is holding us back from doing the will of God, the real issue is not the fear. The real issue is you actually don't yet know how much your father loves you. You don't realize how much your Father loves you. Because the Bible tells us perfect love drives out fear. Because fear is lying to you. Fear is telling you you're going to pray a stupid prayer and people are going to laugh. 
or your prayers just doff, or you, whatever fear you face, fear is lying to you. And what they're lying about is how much your father loves you and cares for you. So in loving kindness, it's quite an insult to your father in heaven when you live a life trapped in fear. Let me say this. All of us experience fear, every one of us. I'm convinced David, when he faced Goliath, experienced fear. The difference was fear now becomes a temptation that either we bow the knee to fear and say, fear, you can lord over me, or we resist it in Jesus' name and say, no way. I know my father loves me. I'm going to do it anyway. Does that make sense? Fear is real. Get full of the Holy Spirit, because what happened when Peter and John and all of the disciples who were dead scared of the Pharisees, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, suddenly they were amazed because people saw the boldness inside of them. So in loving kindness, get over yourself, get full of the Holy Spirit, and every one of us, we leaders, we call to advance the kingdom of God, and to get there, we are ruled and lorded over by Jesus alone and not by a spirit of fear. And we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to lay hands on you. But then you're going to have to walk straight through the middle of it and see the faithfulness of your God. The second thing that we're going to have to then overcome in our lives is ignorance, is not realizing the significant impact that your life can have on the church, on the heavenlies, and on others. Because we come from a worldly system that has shaped our identity and shaped the kind of potential we see in ourselves, but we forget that in the kingdom of God, things look radically different. Let me give you an example. In Leviticus 26 verse 8, it says, five of you will chase a hundred. Five times 20 equals a hundred. Okay. So a hundred of you will chase, well, five times 20 is a hundred. hundred times 20 is 2,000. No, we'll chase 10,000. You see, the maths doesn't add up. In the kingdom of God, the maths doesn't add up because it's like a logarithmic type of effect. In other words, what it means is if, if 22 faithful prayers who come out and pray every Thursday night, with the level of power we're seeing from that, 23 makes a bigger difference. 24, 25, 26, 27. It's not a general, no, no, the curve goes like this. Church, imagine with me the day when there's 600 of us praying on a Thursday night. Imagine, imagine if five put 20 to flat, what was it? Put 100 to flat and 100 put 10,000, your enemies will fall by the sword before you. Imagine how many 600 would put to flat. The biggest one to overcome is the area of inconvenience. Because some of you live in Merencia, some of you live there, and some of you live here, and you're just getting back from work, and you've had a hectic day, and it's crazy hour at home because you've got young kids, and kids need their routines. They do. But what they really, really need is to see a mom and dad who are willing to sacrifice for the sake of the king and the kingdom. Now, for all of you who've got young kids, you probably will hate me after this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Be careful that we don't push pause on the call of God by making our kids and our routines the centerpiece of our world. Kids were never designed to be the center of the world. Jesus is designed to be the center of the world. And probably the healthiest thing your kids could ever see is a mom and dad who are willing to be inconvenienced and sacrificed for the king. 
when they eating their chicken nuggets in the corner of the prayer meeting while mom is feeding a chicken nugget and saying amen at the same time, and they look up and dad is standing with his hands raised in the air, they are learning way more than a great routine at home in front of the TV. So if you're hiding behind your children and busyness and all of that, I get it. But make sure we're not sacrificing one of the greatest callings of our lives for the sake of our routines. Enough said. Told you people got mad at me. And one of the other things, last one that we're going to have to overcome is the sense of return on investment. Irrelevance. Is the prayer meeting really making a difference? For me, this is actually the one that challenges me the most. It is hard work to pray for an hour. To worship, to pray, it's hard work. And, and I've been challenged by this one. I don't want to waste time just launching prayers into the air. Which is why as a prayer meeting, we've been seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, we want to see a return on the investment of our prayers. And so we've been growing as a prayer team to stop praying, Lord, bless the world, save the world, hallelujah. No, no, Holy Spirit, what exactly do you want us to pray for? And as we pray into those areas of authority for our local government, for business leaders, for spiritual leaders, for uh, uh, family leaders, for educational leaders, Holy Spirit, what are you leading us to pray? And here's the crazy thing. Here's where we want to see the answers on the lampposts. Because right around our city, twice a week, we have Zululand Observer headlines on our lampposts. That's where we want to see the answer. We want to see the headlines that we prayed for in the prayer meeting now become headlines on the billboards. Because we're praying for corruption to be exposed, and we're praying for job opportunities, we're praying for right governments, we're praying for schools to excel. That's what we're praying for, and what we pray there, we want to see on the billboards here. We want to be able to measure our prayers because we're listening to the Holy Spirit. Come and join. And so church, let me land. Firstly, I want to commend to you the amazing men and women who come out every Thursday to pray. They've been undergirding the engine generator of this church for years. Now I know many, we pray on Sundays, we pray at home groups, I get all of that. But I believe God is wanting us to grow the generator of this church through united prayer. Colossians 4 verse 12 said, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greeting. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. My question, are you willing to bring your CC of prayer power to join it to the generator room at Outlook? To overcome your fears of praying out loud? To repent of not believing that as a carrier of the Holy Spirit, you can make a powerful difference? To repent of excuses, inconvenience, busyness, kids, whatever that's keeping you from taking up your place in the army? To repent of unbelief that prayer is irrelevant and begin to grow your own personal prayer muscle. Church, I want you to dream with me for a moment. Imagine what it'll be like when there's five, six hundred of us praying on a Thursday, what the service will be like on a Sunday. When you walk in here with your unsaved friends and family members, and a couple of days before the Sunday service, 600 of people have been passionately praying for the spirit of power, conviction to get a hold of their heart. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when people come in with broken bodies, demon-possessed, whatever it might be, but 600 people were passionately praying for a demonstration of the kingdom of God? 
At this point, the enemy is whispering every excuse under heaven why you can't be part of that. And, and I'm not trying to be heavy, not trying to be harsh. This is not law. This is not rules. But at the same time, we're not called to convenient, comfortable Christianity. We're an apostolic people called to advance the kingdom of God. We would love to see you take your place in united prayer Thursday nights next year in Jesus' name. And God's people say, why don't you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, as we, as we stand before you, I want to pray the prayer that, that Jesus prayed. John 17, and he said, Father, glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. And Father, I pray that you would begin to glorify Outlook Church so that we could more fully glorify you. As a church, Father, we promise you all the glory. Father, you've spoken over us great things that you want to do. Father, come and glorify your church so that we would glorify you more and more and more. Father God, I pray that, that this word, I, I pray that it doesn't come in a harsh anyway. I pray, Lord God, that rather if in any part of our lives we've been bowing the knee to authority structures of whatever it might be, today we want to repent. Father, we want to be a people who live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus. And yes, it's inconvenience, but when we lose our life for the kingdom, we truly find it. Father, I pray that, that this revelation would burn in our hearts. I've got a contribution to make, and my little CC can make a difference to the generator room of this church. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, why don't you allow the, the Holy Spirit just to speak to you for a moment. And while you do that, I want to speak to anyone who might be here today. If you are not yet in relationship with your Father in heaven, and to be in a relationship with God, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means your sins have been forgiven. You've been born again, brand new, fresh start. It means you get filled with His Holy Spirit who changes you from the inside. It means He gives you eternal life. Thank you for your amazing grace. Father, you've called us to be a new breed, a, a radical prototype, a, a church that displays your glory. Will you help us to make adjustments? Help us to find grace and help us to live for your glory. I thank you so much for your people, Lord. Thank you for your gracious hand upon us. And now you've spoken. I'm going to show you my mighty hand. Come and do it, we pray in Jesus' name.